Welcome to the study of God's Word with pastor and author Ed Taylor, recorded live from Calvary Chapel in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media, visit us online at calvaryaurora.org or download our free app on all platforms. And now, here's Pastor Ed to take us into our study. Amen. Amen. Would you take your Bibles, open them to Hebrews chapter 12. Going verse by verse through the book of Hebrews, we're going to pick up where we left off in verse 12 in a Bible study that I've entitled, When You're Weary, Be Careful. When You're Weary, Be Careful. We've learned in our study in Hebrews that the early Jewish believers were facing very hard, difficult times in their newfound faith. What was meant to be exciting and life-giving and exhilarating turns out to be some of the hardest times they've ever faced in their lives. And the same could be true for you and me. We're born again, and in our lives we're delivered from our past, but now we face a whole new warfare, so many new challenges. These guys are tempted to go backwards, or a word that we use today, they are tempted to backslide. They want to return to the rituals and the religion and all of the benefits that they lost when they embraced Jesus Christ. You know, if they were to go backwards, which, you know, that's why it's not logical to backslide, because if they were to go backwards into the rituals, it would only point them to Messiah that came anyway. So it would be this vicious cycle of, no, you can't go backwards because there's always going to be that longing to go forward. So they're being tempted. They're being tempted to drift away. Listen, to backslide and drift away is a real temptation for you and for me not just the Hebrews of the first century. I know some in the body of Christ, some theological traditions don't like the phrase backslide. They don't like to describe it that way, but it's a biblical word. It's found in the Bible and it describes someone, believers, that can go backwards, that can drift away from their full commitment in following Jesus. I could even put it this way. I think we all backslide in small ways from time to time where we just drift away into things that aren't really helping us run our race. And you'll see that that becomes a theme even here in chapter 12. To backslide or drift away is real. And nobody ever really thinks they're going to backslide. Nobody really thinks they're going to go backwards. Following Jesus is exciting and it's wonderful and the work that he's doing in our lives, it's all fresh and new. And then we combine that with the desire to grow. I mean, we want to go forward. We want to run the race. We want to do what God desires us to do. But real life isn't like that. Real life comes with seasons of difficulty, trials, resistance. We get tired We even get weary. And then there's the chastening of the Lord. Like the Hebrews, we might lose family members because of our faith. We might lose our job, our income. We may lose more than we ever anticipated because of our decision and our desire to follow Jesus. And because of that, many people choose to walk away. They choose to backslide. They choose to go back to their previous life. So notice, pick up with me in, with that in mind in verse 12 of Hebrews chapter 12. It starts out with the word, therefore. Therefore strengthen the hands which hang down in the feeble knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be dislocated but rather healed. 
So the theme of race, that race of life, that race of faith is the entirety of chapter 12. He continues that on. And you'll notice verse 12 begins with the word therefore. We ask, what is it therefore? And it's a connecting word. It's a continuation of the entirety of chapter 12. But it also takes us back to chapter 11. We're surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses. We're looking to Jesus. We're running the race. We're enduring. We're considering. We're helping. We're experiencing perhaps chastening of God or the discipline of God, the training of God. And you've been disciplined. You've been injured. You're tired. You're weary. And so what is the word? Strengthen the hands which hang down and the feeble knees. Make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be dislocated, but rather be healed. Strengthen the weak. That's a theme throughout the scripture. Strengthen the weak. We're reminded again that the race of life is not merely for you to finish, although it is primarily for you to finish. You want to finish the race and you want to finish it well. But it's not a competition to beat other people. It's not to finish first, to get the best time. No, the goal is to finish so that you can say, I finished my race. But the secondary goal is to take as many people with you as possible, that we're in this race together. And that this idea, this instruction of strengthening the weak is actually not an instruction for us to strengthen ourselves. But rather, you know, because when you're weary and tired, I mean, who strengthens themselves? When you're weary and tired, you just throw your hands up and go, I'm done. I don't want to race anymore. I'm tired. This is too much. It's one trial after another, one difficulty after another, one hardship after another. I don't want to drive that far anymore. I don't want to do that anymore. I don't want to watch online anymore. I don't want to go, oh, oh, I'm just so tired. No, when you see people that are tired, you want to go and strengthen them come alongside of them. We're in this together. And when you see someone, like that's what, you see someone with their hands hanging down. Now, you know, I, I don't, I don't, I can't really think of ever anybody walking around with their hands down like this. But I do see shoulders hunched down at times. I can see that body language. I do see people kind of walking around, like moping around. Maybe they're going through something and you can see it in the way they walk or you can see it in how they carry themselves. But I'll tell you where I see it the most. And this is kind of where the face coverings mess me up a little bit is because I, rem I know people in our church by your face and by your family. I know your face. And I also put into my mind where you sit, where this has all been thrown all over the place because who knows where they're going to sit you, and now you're, most of your face is covered. And so what I've had to do is I've had to train myself to pastor differently. I'd have to adjust myself. And I pay more close attention now to your eyes, because that's all I really get to see, to your eyes. And let me tell you something. When you pay attention to eyes, eyes will tell you a lot about a person. You know, it's not just when eyes are filled with tears. You can see if the eyelids are down a little bit, maybe they're tired. If your eyelids are down all the way, you must be really tired right now. We'll wake you up after the service. Don't worry about it. But we all see you right now. You know, you look at someone and you, basically what the, what the Bible's teaching us right now is, even if you are weary and tired, would you watch out for other people that are weary or tired because they need your help?
You go, but I need help. Okay, if everybody's watching out for one another, we're going to strengthen one another. So we know you need help. And that's why we see you. But we see you even though we're tired, right? When you're weary, be careful. Because when you're weary, you're tempted not only to backslide, but you're also tempted not to care about anybody but yourself. And this, this scripture is telling you, instructing me, commanding me to strengthen those that are weak. To come alongside and strengthen those that are weak. There is a need not only to strengthen hands and, and knees, but notice to make a straight path so that you don't trip and fall and completely dislocate, that you might be dislocated what is already weak. You know, when you're lame, when you're weak and weary, the next step is just to be destroyed, to be taken out of joint, if you will. And he says, no, watch out for each other, church. Don't divide one another. Don't bite and devour one another. Watch out for one another. Take care of each other. It's not that we're to strengthen ourselves. But any hands, any knees, no matter who they are, and even if you're weak today, take your weakness to the Lord. Come with what you have. We're not to be so focused and concentrated on ourselves and our own weaknesses that we don't strengthen one another. Go back to chapter 10, verse 25. You'll remember this. Chapter 10, verse 25. Really pick up in verse 24 for the whole sentence. Hebrews 10, 24. Let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another daily, so much more, so much more as you see the day approaching. Like you're so close to the finish line, Paul says. You're right there. And instead of quitting or going backwards, come together and strengthen one another. There is pain on the journey. Anyone say amen to that? There is pain in the race. There is pain following Jesus. Sometimes it's going to get harder and more challenging. There's pain. But don't miss this. Come back with chapter 12. Don't miss this. There is also healing on the journey. As he says in verse 13, so you won't become dislocated, but rather healed. I know pain gets a lot of attention, and I know there's pain in this room, but there's also healing in this room. God has done amazing works in your hearts and minds of many of you. Your testimony of what God delivered you from, your testimony of how he comforted you, your testimony of how he cares for you, of his personal touch in your life. Yes, there's pain on the journey, but let me tell you something. There's healing on the journey too. You look for that healing. Look to be an agent to bring healing in someone else's life. This isn't a time, church, to go backwards. You're going to be able to run this race of faith better than ever before together. Together. This is where I think our church, I think the church in general, but our church in particular is really excels as a community of believers, and really excels in a community of unbelievers, encouraging one another. There's a lot of healing in our hearts and minds that we've received and that we've shared, that we come together and we look to help others, where we look to serve, we look to serve and equip and strengthen others. Jot it down in Romans chapter 1 and verse 11. 
Paul gives a little insight of this where he says, for I long to see you that I might impart to you some spiritual gift so that you can be established. That is, that I might be encouraged. Like, I know many of you come together and you go, I'm looking to establish you. I'm looking to help you. I want to give you a spiritual gift. I want to bless you. And, and it reminds me that we need to be together as a church. God is the one that invented this. He's the one. Man did not invent the church. God created the church. And we need to be together as a larger group like we are today. It is mandatory and necessary to be together as the church. We're not to forsake it. Now, I know at the beginning of this whole thing, we took some time off as a church because we didn't know what we were dealing with. We didn't understand. We were waiting for more information. And so we were online for a while. Now, we've been online as a church since they invented the technology. So it's not new for us. We've been on, we've tried to maximize every piece of technology they've ever invented, and we've been online. And I've said many, many, many times to those that choose to stay home instead of gather together that, you know, watching online is like popping vitamins. You can't live on vitamins. I mean, you can supplement with vitamins, but being together is where the meat of ministry takes place, being together. And, and you can't just be online or listening on the radio. You need to be a part of a church family where not only can you look out to minister to, to someone, but someone can look out for you and minister to you. Now, I know with being online and, and many people are forced to be online, like it will do until you can get back. But listen, right now, you need to start planning. If you're online and you've been online this whole time and you're not in a super high-risk category, that you've got to start planning Put a plan together to get back in the room because there's, it's, there, there is no substitute of being together. Amen? Amen. No substitute. There's just, it, not only do we need to be together, be together as a large group, but we need to be together as smaller groups. We need to be encouraging one another in smaller groups. Not only that, but we also need to be encouraging one another one-on-one as only the church can do to exhort one another to admonish one another, to encourage, to bring that mutual encouragement. There's an old Swedish motto that says this, and I quote, shared joy is a double joy. Shared sorrow is half a sorrow. It's not just sound like the Bible. We weep with those who weep and we rejoice with those who rejoice. And we help carry one another's burdens in the Lord. Sharing life with each other in varying degrees of friendship is a joyful gift from the Lord. You were born again into a family. You were adopted into the family of God. Friendships, partnerships among the brethren, they provide mutual encouragement, support, protection, help, strength, and a whole host of other benefits. God, he intended for his church to worship as we worship together. He intended for us to come together, to sing together, to study the Bible together, to read the Bible together, to pray for one another, to help one another. God is the one behind this. And so we obey him. Notice verse 14 now. Pursue peace with all men and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Looking diligently, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this many become defiled. 
lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau, who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. For you know that afterward, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place for repentance, though he sought it diligently with tears. The context is weariness, weakness, hanging hands, feeble knees, where it's just one thing after another. That's the context. And he says, when you're weary, as you're running this race, pursue peace and holiness. Now, whenever you see action words, verbs, it's good to go back and look at the verbs. Verse 12, strengthen. Verse 13, make straight. Verse 14, pursue. Look at verse 15, looking diligently. Those are all actions to take when you're weary. It's a command for the race of life. Whether you're strong or weak, pursue peace. The idea of this word, if you like to write in your Bibles, you can circle it and you can write next to it, press hard, go after, to go take something. You know, if I was wanting to teach a uh, Bible study, a topical Bible study on the pursuit of God, there's quite a few verses, because this word is used in different contexts throughout the scriptures. There's quite a few different verses. Let me give them to you if you're taking notes, because this is such a great word to study on your own. Romans chapter 14, verse 19. Therefore, let us pursue the things which make for peace. 1 Corinthians 14, 1. Pursue love, desire spiritual gifts. Philippians chapter 3, verse 12. Not that I've already attained or I'm already perfected, but I press on that I might lay hold of that which Christ Jesus has laid hold of me. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 15. See that no one renders evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good, both for yourselves and for all. 2 Timothy 2.22. Flee youthful lust, but pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace, with all those who call upon the Lord out of a pure heart. See, without faith it's impossible to please God, and if you choose not to pursue peace and holiness, you'll never see God. You'll never experience him in his purity because God is one who has made peace with you. Holiness setting you apart for his purposes. No one sees the Lord without this pursuit. It's that important. Anything other than the grace of God pursuing his peace and holiness will slow you down. It'll be one of those weights that you have to lay aside or the sin that so easily ensnares us. And then he says in verse 15, looking diligently. Now remember, we've already learned that we're to look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. So now we have, under the context of looking unto Jesus, we now have to look diligently in our own life. And that's always the right order, church. Always the right order. It always begins with loving God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and then loving your neighbor with your, as yourself. The, the right order is God is the initiator, and we are the responders. We respond to his love. So this is the order he says, you look unto Jesus in this race, keep your eyes firmly fixed on him, but you also got to watch out for your life. You got to pay attention to your life. Your cooperation in this race of life is essential. I use the word cooperation, but the Bible word is more strong. Your obedience in this race of life is essential. It's, it's a non-negotiable. 
And one of the things that you need to look out for, actually there's three, if you want to jot them down, there's three warnings here, three things to watch out when you're weary, when you're tired, when you're running the race, when it's hard, when you need healing, when you're in a place of great difficulty, great tiredness, great weariness. Number one, be careful that you don't fall short of God's grace. Did you see that? Looking diligently, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God. This is important. This is super important because when a person gets tired, when a Christian gets tired, when a Christian gets weary, when you get hurt, when you're chastened by the Lord, there's always a temptation to respond with more works, more Christian activity. This is especially true for those of you that have a more sensitive conscience, that, that maybe you lean more toward condemnation or guilt, where you kind of feel like it's always your fault, and if you just did better, and if you just worked harder, then you wouldn't experience so much pain. That's a natural response. It's not a good response, but it's natural. Some of you respond more in that area. So what do you do? Well, under the weight of guilt, you'd respond by saying, well, you know what? I'm going to do more for the Lord. And, and maybe it's just something simple, like, you know what? I haven't been really reading my Bible all that much. I maybe read my devos in the morning in 15 minutes. So that's why everything bad is happening to me. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to read the Bible for 10 hours every day. And you just lay this heavy trip on yourself. And so you wake up the next morning and you're like, oh, reading, 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 reading. You, know, you make it 10 minutes. And you're like, oh, I'm tired. I'm tired. I don't think I can make it 10 hours. But you make it 10 hours. And then you do a second day. Third day, you don't even make it 10 minutes because you had an emergency and you had to get to work and you run over here and you go, I'll get to it later, I'll get to it later. And you try to compensate in your tiredness thinking like, if I was just a better Christian, then I wouldn't be experiencing all these things. I want to suggest to you that it could exactly be the opposite, that it's because you're a good Christian that you're facing everything that you're facing. Oh, there's nothing wrong with reading the Bible more. Go for it. Enjoy it. But don't lay a trip on yourself of works because God, he has finished the work of salvation in your life on the cross of Jesus Christ. Remember what he said in his final words. Jesus has literally been beaten close to death. He endured that, was taken up and hung, nailed to a vicious, in a vicious way, to a really ugly wooden instrument of death across and as he's hanging there gasping in his last breaths he's able to say a few things seven sayings in particular one of them was it is finished so when you're tired be careful that you don't try to compensate by leaving the grace of God no one falls short of God's salvation this isn't a sense of you oh be careful you don't lose your salvation no not at all it's that you no longer walk in the grace of God, appreciating Him and loving Him. You have a love relationship with God, not a works relationship. It's a love relationship. I know for some online, in that great strong exhortation I just shared that people are watching online, some people might be hypersensitive and they're, they're like all guilt-ridden and it's like, I need to get back to church. No, you just need to pray about it. Just pray and set, a, set the course where the Holy Spirit can lead you back. You might be in a high risk, and it's safer for you. There's quite a few people that are super high risk, and it's safer for you. You don't have to be guilty, guilted over that or take condemnation over that. There are good reasons. However, it is important for us 
that we stay in the grace of God. And so that when you see other people falling in the grace of God, you rush over to help them. It is a place of weakness when you live life legalistically. I know it might seem easier because you have been told what to do and you just do it. But it's not easier. It's easier to pray and let the Holy Spirit lead you so that you know wherever he wants you, that's where he's going to tell you to go. And whatever he wants you to do, that's what he's going to lead you to do. And that when you read your Bible, it's not because you feel guilty. It's because you feel you're in love with God and you want to learn about it. You're not, you're not learning about, you're not reading the Bible because God's mad at you. You're reading the Bible because he loves you. And on every page, he's like, this is the behavior. This is the life I want. You're running a race. I want you to run it to finish. And this is how you do it. Number one, be careful that you don't fall short of the grace of God. Number two, he says, looking diligently, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this, many become defiled. Bitterness is a great temptation when you're weary, especially when you're weary from trial after trial after difficulty. People have hurt you. Situations have hurt you. A root of bitterness here literally refers to a wicked person whose life and behavior is now offensive to God and obnoxious to men. And you become bitter toward God, you become bitter toward other people, and it just ruins you and everything around you. He says, be careful that it just doesn't spring up. Doesn't spring, like that your heart is not fertile ground for bitterness to spring up. How does your heart become fertile ground? Through unforgiveness. Because this is true. You might want to jot it down so you could see it in your life and others. This is true. Hurting people hurt people. Hurting people hurt people. And we've all been hurt. We've all experienced great pain. We've all been wronged. We've all been offended. And how we respond to that is very important. Bitterness has a way of springing up. But we have a way of creating the path for it. Through our unforgiveness. It's a lot like those dumb aspens we, printed, we planted on the side of our house. I mean, I, I moved to Colorado, and I love those trees, and I wanted some in my backyard. The first backyard I ever had, and I'm going to have the aspens. And for a while, they were nice and pretty and beautiful. Until the weeds kept popping up everywhere. I wanted aspens in this area. I didn't want all of them all over the back. And we don't even have a really big backyard, but it was so bad. They were springing up all over the place. It was so bad that one of the chores for the kids was to go out and cut them all off and put poison on the little stem. They'd have to go every single one. You couldn't just mow them over because then they'd come back all over. You had to cut them off, put little poison, and they would take them hours to do that. I would look at them through the window, just like a dad should, (laughs) making sure they get it all done. So we finally said, enough is enough, because it started springing up in our neighbor's yard, and and they're like, oh, they were very nice. You know, we have brand new neighbors. They were very nice. Oh, we're just going to let it grow like a tree. It wasn't. It was one of those dumb things that sprung up, and if they don't deal with it, it's going to spring up their whole yard too. So we had them cut down, and then we had them drilled down. You know, we had somebody come out and drill out the trunk or whatever, and you know what? They're still springing up. Like bitterness. You can even have the condition of it. You can even go through with forgiveness. You can even, but you still got to watch out for bitterness springing up. 
It defiles, it defiles you. That word defile means to dirty. It soils you. And it also soils everyone around you because it soils your decisions and your demeanor and your attitude. Bitterness, you know, it's like bad breath. Everyone knows you have it, but you. And you won't admit it when you've been caught. Listen, let the Lord do what he needs to do in your heart. The axe that cuts the root of bitterness out of your life and mine is forgiveness. I've done studies on that in much more in depth. You can go onto our website or our app and just put the word forgiveness. Or you can email me directly and ask for the forgiveness information and I'll send it to you. I'll send you a link where you can download it and print it out. But forgiveness is needed. Forgiveness is that act on your part and mind to release someone from the debt that they owe us. You've got to release. If you choose not to forgive, then they have power over you. And so does that situation. So you choose to forgive. A lot of times people misunderstand forgiveness because when you forgive, it doesn't feel like anything's changed. There's still animosity and there's still, there's the relationship didn't get rebuilt and that's, and I'll tell you why. In order, forgiveness is a choice you must make unilaterally. Why? Because of how much God has forgiven you. Of all that he's forgiven you, who are we to withhold forgiveness for someone else? But the reason why the relationship hasn't been restored is because for reconciliation to take place, repentance has to happen. Without repentance, there's no relationship. See, your forgiveness is an act of your own repentance. But if there's no change on the other side, there's no relationship. God's already given us that picture. Without repentance, you have no relationship with God. You can't just say, oh, God's my buddy, man upstairs. No, have you repented of your sins? Have you acknowledged that you've sinned against a holy and a righteous God? Have you received the forgiveness of Jesus Christ by admitting that you have failed miserably? Until you do that, and without repentance, there's no salvation. And don't think for a moment, if you respond to an invitation here and you don't repent of your sins, you, you don't turn away from your sinful past, don't think just because you responded in a church that you're automatically saved. You want to be careful that you want to be careful in your own life that you forgive and that you pray for reconciliation because as much as hurting people hurt people, healed people bring healing into relationships. And you trust God because of the forgiven forgive. Number three. So number one was be careful you don't fall short of God's grace. Number two, be careful that there's no root of bitterness springing up. And then thirdly, be careful of fornication and profaneness. Now that's interesting, is it? What do you mean, Ed? What does that have to do with bitterness? What does that have to do with the grace of God? Well, we have an answer for that. We have the example of Esau. So he says, lest there be any fornicator or profane, this is verse 16, lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau, who for one morsel of food sold his birthright, for you know that afterward, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place for repentance, though he sought it diligently with tears. You see, this is not, the, the word fornication in its general sense biblically means to engage in sexual activity, any kind of sexual activity outside of marriage. But the context here 
has something to do with your relationship with Jesus Christ and you out going outside of that relationship for Jesus Christ in a way that damages your relationship. And he uses Esau. So this is not necessarily a sexual reference here in verse 16, but it's tied together with profaneness and the behavior of Esau who sold out his birthright for some food. He sold out his birthright for food. So here with fornication, what it's describing is idolatry. You've got Esau who was a profane man. He was hungry and, and, and he was willing to sell his birthright his position, his treasured, valued position in the family, his position of leadership, the position that God bestowed upon him, none of that meant anything to him because he was more hungry physically than he was hungry spiritually. And that's what happens when you're tired. That's what happens when you don't help others and when you're not helped and when you are looking out for the grace of God in your life. And when you allow bitterness to swallow you, you become a spiritual fornicator and a profane person. That's what happens to us. You got to watch out when you're tired, church. Watch out when you're fatigued. Esau had no ethics. He had no faith, no reverence for God, no regard for good. He was worldly, secular, and profane. I mean, if we were watching uh, Esau's life, we'd probably go, man, what is he thinking? But from God's perspective, God says this, what he did was really evil. And it was evil because his appetites. You got to watch your appetites, church. Can I just say it in a practical sense? One of the sins the Bible mentions is gluttony. The church doesn't mention gluttony too much, but the Bible mentions it. Gluttony is overeating. It's eating too much. It's taking in too much. And I know in times of stress and difficulty, it's easy to lean on food as a source of comfort. Don't they even say that on the Food Channel, right? This is comfort food. And you've got to be careful when you're weary not to just yield to your appetites. The source of your comfort is God, not food. The source of your comfort is God, not alcohol. The source of your comfort is God, not a joint. The source of your comfort is God and not a relationship. The source of your, and you can see where anything can take the place of God. You've got to watch your appetites and what you're hungry for. The Bible says this, Jesus did, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for what? Righteousness, because they'll be filled. And church, we're in a race that the world's not in. Our goal is to finish well. That's our goal. Not to exclude our faithful citizenship on earth. No way. We're to be citizens on earth, faithful citizens, but secondary because our primary citizenship is in heaven. And if you're worn out today and you're tired, God's word to you is you can make it, but watch out. Watch out for others along the way. Strengthen them, help them, pick them up, make the path straight for them. Watch out for others, but also watch out for yourself. Be careful that you don't walk away from the grace of God. Be careful that you don't let bitterness consume you. You know, bitterness, sometimes it sounds like you're just so mad at God. that It can so twist you. I'm mad at God, but God has been so gracious and so good to you. But pain will do that. 
And tiredness definitely will do that. You want to be careful not to become profane and a spiritual fornicator. I mean, that's a powerful thing to think through, that our worship is of God and God alone. So watch out for it as you watch out for others. So Father, we, we just pray that you would use our time today to encourage and strengthen. We're all running this race, and for some of us, we're like super tired. I know they've got that phrase out there, COVID fatigue. I think we all a little feeling that uh, in one way or another. It's hard, but we pray for your strength to get us through, for that endurance, and we want to be good in watching for others and watching out for ourselves. So help us in Jesus' name. Amen. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. Or visit us online at calvaryaurora.org. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week.